To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have on Kevin Estella from Fieldcraft Survival. So I really like Kevin. I had him on Eastman's Flycast and then met him in person when this summer we traveled down to Utah and we gave a live seminar in their facilities. Uh, Kevin's super knowledgeable and today our conversation centers all around backcountry safety. And this is at the forefront of my mind as I'm just getting back from this super extreme hunt all above 12,000 feet. Uh, in the rocks and, and rock slides and shoots and just super steep country where uh, it'd be easy to twist an ankle or take a spill. And, and those rocks are so sharp up there that you take a spill and you could have some bad lacerations from those things. And, you know, I've been fortunate. I rely a lot upon my, my backcountry savvy, decision-making abilities, my physical fitness, but eventually something's going to happen and it might not even be me it might be one of my hunting buddies or I, I come across somebody that has a backcountry emergency and so being prepared for this and having the right uh, first aid kit in your pack is essential and so that's what this conversation's all about and it's um it's just great timing as well as we're all getting out on these big adventures and uh, going on these big hunts and we're so excited for them but you know the reality is is there's a lot of dangers back there too and and uh, we need to make sure that we're prepared if if something happens i mean the 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 first three rules of of backcountry hunting are safety safety and safety you have to live to hunt another day no deer is worth dying for uh, you know, so so you have to make good decisions and then be prepared if something happens. And so uh, it's a great conversation. Um, we'll get right into it. I just want to thank a couple sponsors. I want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Man, have I been loving on these things. Um, I really like their standard boot, which is a low-cut, lightweight boot, under three pounds a pair. They're called their 320 Trail Light Evo GTXs. Uh, they're, they're really waterproof as well. Like, I've had one set of these boots for over two years and they're still just as waterproof as the day I bought them. Uh, they just don't cut any corners as far as, as material quality, as far as craftsmanship. I really think they're making the best boots out there. Uh, their new hunting shoes are what I'm really in love with. I've been using these all season. So they're called the 215 Salute GTX RRs. Uh, they're under two pounds. Uh, they're also waterproof and super waterproof. Like I just hiked into this hunt in an absolute downpour for two days. And you need gaiters as well to keep your socks and your lower pants dry. But with gaiters, my feet were bone dry in these things in tennis shoes. And they're like a burlier hunting tennis shoe with a Vibram sole so you can side hill in them and they really grip well. Uh, they're, they're just a dynamite hunting shoe. I'm, I'm absolutely in love with them. Make sure to check those out, and they have a, a multitude of different boots in there to fit your needs and personal preferences, but I'm just loving these Zamberlin boots, and thanks to those guys for their support of the podcast. I also want to thank OnX. 
Uh, I got a great Onyx episode coming up with the guys over there for some tech tips and then talking about new features on there. But I mean, it's just changed the way that I that I hunt and fish. I mean, I was just talking to my buddy last night and shooting him pins of where I'm going to camp so he can meet me in there. Like, it's great. You can you can save a pin and then you can text message it to your buddy to meet up or you know, like, um, you know, Lampers is, is elk hunting a, a spot that I've elk hunted before. So I sent him a bunch of pins and every pin, you know, I'm getting way better at color coding my pins and then also uh, labeling my pins. They have a bunch of different icons so I can send Lampers, you know, an elk, uh, uh, an elk pin and he knows that I saw an elk there and then it's labeled um, you know, there's, uh, we have some funny labeling for elk, like a big Mondo bowl or, you know, whatever. And then, um, I can also mark vantage points and then access points, like where you're going to park your rig at. And so I've been able to send him a bunch of pins, which hopefully helps out in him being successful out there. And I get the same thing from my buddies. Dan and I were just, uh, text exchanging. He's hunting a unit that, that, that I've hunted in Idaho and killed a couple bulls in, and so sent him a bunch of pins there. Uh, he also went down and hunted a unit that, that we hunted together one year. We were hunting for deer, and uh, he went back and hunted for elk, and so he sent me a bunch of pins on that one. But it's just wild what you can do, and and it for hunting, being able to see topography and aerial imagery, and then uh, they also have a hybrid of both on there. It's just an absolute game changer. And, and and also marking tracks. Like I've gotten some super steep country like hunting the Southern Alps in New Zealand uh, where I went across and there was one spot to make it across this hillside. And so I marked it as a track. So it tracked me all the way across there. And then coming back, the fog got so thick. And if I miss that spot, like I am in the cliffs and I'm I'm in danger and probably can't make it back to camp that night and could get myself in real trouble. But I was able to pull up that track and then follow that exact track back in the thickest fog over there. And uh, I can also remember hunting elk and chasing a bull ended up 10 miles away from my rig and same thing it got dark and it was foggy that night and I never would have made it back to my truck that night if I didn't have on x to guide me back there so it's just an absolute game changer and it's also uh you know as this podcast is all about safety like there's a lot of safety in being able to mark your rig and mark your camp and being able to find those spots and get back to them because things change and it's so tough to navigate in the dark and you don't realize it until it is dark you know so uh, it's just a game changer. So if you don't have on X, man, uh, where have you been? Um, but but you need to check it out. It's a great app, and they're constantly evolving it and adapting it. So it's just super. Check that out. And um, over there at Eastman's, we're releasing some good Beyond the Grids. They released one of my Idaho deer hunts from 2017, uh, uh, a couple weeks ago or whatever. So that's out. Uh, you can find that on YouTube, Eastman's Hunting TV, or Beyond the Grid. We'll take you there. Um, just releasing really good episodes every week, and I've got some new ones coming up, including a hunt from this season I'm super psyched for. And then they have one all edited up from last season, High Country Mule Deer Hunt, that I think is really good, and I can't wait for him to play that. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, check out everything we do over there. Uh, check out the magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. The promo code for that is Elevated321. That'll get you both magazines, 50 bucks, and an outdoor edge knife. Um, 
what else do we have? Oh, uh, make sure to check out Tag Hub, uh, internet research tool where we compile all that data and uh, constantly evolving that as well. And um, yeah, I know all the guys are out hunting. Um, I got word uh, the other day. I think Dan uh, arrowed a bull there in um, home state of Wyoming. At least that's what it looked like on the messages or whatever. So kind of fun keeping in touch with those guys as season progresses here. And uh, I'm just super excited for the rest of se- rest of the season. Um, got some really good hunts coming up. Switching gears and starting to hunt elk here, uh, which is like the most thrilling hunting I do. Like it's really exciting. Like I, uh, if I had to pick, I would say mule deer would be my favorite, but uh, elk are definitely a close second. And um, got some buddies coming out, including one of my Hawaii buddies, Sean, is coming out with me, spending some time. And um, so yeah, I'm just super psyched just to. Uh, hunt hard here and um, have some adventures and and, uh, see what I can turn up. So uh, good hunting to you guys for the season. Um, Man, let's get into this podcast. Kevin Estella from Fieldcraft Survival. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Test, test. Give me a test real test, quick. Test, 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 test. Okay, perfect. Okay, I'm live. Uh, me and the Eastmans, we came down to Fieldcraft Survival, and I have one of my friends that's been on Flycast with me, mm-hmm. uh, super knowledgeable. So I've got Kevin. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me again. Welcome welcome to uh, my workplace here. Yeah, man, you guys are set up right. This is a great studio. People, people come into Fieldcraft Survival, and they're like, this looks like a fun place to work. And then I tell them, that, well, this is one of the fun places we have because we have this location, we have a studio. I mean, but here at the headquarters, we have our Sims pistols downstairs. We have our uh, shooting simulator. We have uh, vehicles pulling in all the time that are just super tricked out. I mean, there there's always something going on here. Uh, not to mention the full retail store, which, you know, we get customers in from all over that are all like-minded. So it's just a great place to be. Man, I would say, and um, what a beautiful town. Heber right here, you guys are surrounded by big mountains and surrounded by mule deer, I would think. Yeah, you know, we just had the flip-flop guy here earlier, and when we walked out of the out of the studio this morning he's like oh i killed deer up there oh i hunted over there i'm like i've been here for months and how have you done that before me but yeah it's it's a gorgeous area anyone that tells you um you know there's no such thing as like magnetism when it comes to mountains i mean when you live in the mountains like this you hike in the mountains you you hunt and you fish in the mountains when you go to a place that's really flat you are drawn back to the mountains because there's nothing like living in a place like this. There's nothing like living in the mountains. It's so funny. I was doing the same thing to the Eastmans, you know, as we were uh, getting into our rental mm-hmm. house. And we actually, our rental place is right next to Mike's old place or yeah. one of the, yeah. yeah. And so we, I was looking up on the rim and I was telling those guys, oh, up in that basin, I I killed a good buck years mm-hmm. ago up on that basin, you know, and it was, um, it, it was really green on that side, but it looks dry out here this year. Oh, this is a, a terrible year for, for lack of rainfall. Um, I mean, it's to the point now where it's such a severe fire ban. Um, You know, a lot of people uh, don't realize that when you look at like fire bans, they gauge, uh, and when I say they, like the fire service and the government gauges uh, fires in terms of uh, how long the wood could be exposed to torrential downpour right? Like hours, 10 hour, 100 hour, 1000 hours of, of constant downpour. Well, we are at like the highest level, I believe it's 1000 hour wood, they call it, where I mean, 
it's the easiest time of year and the easiest place if you want to learn friction fire, mm -hmm. where you have to bring wood, you know, rubbing two sticks together, uh, essentially, to uh, to make a fire. It's the easiest conditions you could possibly do it. Like, m my friend George jokes, and he says, uh, you can make a fire out here with a bunny fart and a rainbow. And, <laughs> you know, it, it really is. Like, you got to be so careful. And there's no joking around with that. Like, if they say fire ban, do not try to be smart, like, make sure that you're only doing fires where they say you can and don't go and make like the crazy white man fire, which is like, you know, the joke that, you know, white man build big fire, sit far away, you know, native build little fire, sit close. Like we don't want white men fires. Like use a, use a gas stove. If you have to, when you're camping, use battery operated lanterns, mm -hmm. don't screw around because one spark could lead to thousands and thousands of acres burning so oh my gosh well and nowadays you'd be responsible for that yes, too you would. um so you really got to be careful and so like right now in the summertime they have fire bands out where you can't mm -hmm. have them unless they're enclosed and when it gets really dry uh you can't have fires at all but i know uh during our hunting seasons like in august in september you have to be extremely careful yeah. and, and that's not only like building a little fire but uh, it can catch the roots underneath yep. your fire and catch that on fire and it can smolder for days. Like I had this, um, uh, this, these circumstances in Wyoming and it poured down rain, it snowed, it was so wet out and it was so wet and so cold. It was right in the beginning of September. And so, uh, we had a fire in a spot and then we had these bad lightning storms that were going to come in. And so, uh, we wanted to move our camp to a little bit safer location, not as high on the mountain. And so of course we put out the fire and I dug down in with a stick and made mm -hmm. sure everything was smoldered. We took a pee on it, you know, whatever yeah, yeah, the case yeah. is, you know, try to be safe. And so uh, we moved our camp and it snowed at four or five inches on us that night. We actually had some snow lightning, which is wild to right, be in right. where it's snowing and you can hear the lightning clapping during mm -hmm. a snowstorm. But uh, anyways, to get to the point, we camped in a different spot and we went back over to that old camp spot. We had walked by it when we had gone on a stalk on a deer and that fire was still smoldering like wow. a day later with four or five inches of snow on top of it in like green lush country at 10,000 feet. Yeah. And it scared the heck out of me. And I think it was like all the old pine needles underneath mm -hmm. that had smoldered down to the roots. And so, I mean, we took an hour to make sure we had that thing all the way out. But yeah, fires are spooky. If it's dry, for me, it's not even worth having one. Yeah, if you talk to some of the folks that are really into starting fires using pitch wood, you know, fat wood. Mm -hmm. Uh, they'll tell you, oh, the greatest place to find fatwood is in the stumps of like an old Christmas tree farm, right? Or, you know, finding uh, like a, like a knocked over pine tree and you'll see like the crystal of like all the resin, right? That you scrape it and it's a great fire starter. But a lot of people don't realize if you look at like pine roots, mm -hmm. you can actually find little globules of that flammable resin in the roots. Really? Oh yeah. And it's a known fact that fires can travel along those root systems. Mm -hmm. um, that it, It's totally, totally freaky. Um, I mean, it's gotten so bad out here that they've even banned shooting on public land because they're worried that someone's going to use like an incendiary round or, you know, someone is going to park off, uh, off the trail and just the heat of their muffler yes. is going to light the fire or yep. light, the, light the forest on fire. So um, it's really bad right now. And, you know, the good thing about all these fire conditions is that it's making people tougher because when you camp without a fire and you camp in the dark, it makes you appreciate when you do have it. Mm -hmm. And it also uh, lets you know where you have deficiencies in your kit. Like, oh, I don't have a headlamp. I don't have this. Like mm -hmm. when you don't have that, that light from the fire, oh my God, it, it, it definitely 
creates tougher, tougher men and women. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about fire that that is in our DNA. Mm-hmm. Like it makes you feel human again on a tough hunt. If you have a fire, it almost resets you. Yes. Uh, and w- just watching the that fire and the light from it and the heat from it, it, it does something to your senses. So you're right. Like in a lot of circumstances, us hunters, we want to be really low impact. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to have a fire because we don't want the animals to know where they're chasing them. So right. a lot of times we don't have a fire, but... Uh, uh, having good fire knowledge is key to like uh, uh, what you're really good at, your survival sense. But yeah. also us as hunters, uh, we have to know how to get a fire going. And even carrying fire starters, even carrying all the necessary stuff. Like I found myself struggling with fires in the past, like when I was younger and when I didn't have the right skill set to build these fires. Uh, so, so you're a pro. I'm going to let you take it away. But a couple of the things that I like to do, it's like you got to gather the right materials, sure. right? And even if you have a light, lighter and a fire starter, but if it dumps 12 inches of snow on that or it's mm-hmm. been raining for days, and that's when you really need to get a fire going where it, it may your safety may uh, uh, be in, in, in need of getting a fire and getting warmed up and drying your gear off. But it's really about the materials. And so I like to take my knife and I like to slice and I like to get those, yeah. the, those little slices of dry wood, get to the middle of the wood and I like to stock everything there so I like to have like the the instant flame which for me like red pine needles are the mm-hmm. best uh maybe some grasses something of that nature and, and then slicing off some of those and then starting with small sticks to mediums to large and if you can't get it going or sustain a flame start over go right, get more material right. so uh, uh I uh maybe walk me through like some of these these fire skills and what guys can do to practice these because uh, when you need to get a fire, you got to have it right now. Yeah. Um, I recently wrote an article for a, another magazine. I won't say the name of it. It might be a competitor. but uh, No worries. You know, uh, I said how there's no such thing as cheating in, in an emergency, right? Like if you have to use a road flare, you use a road flare. No one is going to say after you've survived your emergency dunking or, you know, the, the unexpected storm that takes everything from you. Oh, well, he got a fire going using a road flare. He was cheating. No one is going to say that. Now, if you have all those items at your disposal and you don't use it, people are going to say you were foolish not to. I always tell people when it comes to fire and the process of learning fire, always stack the deck in your favor early on and slowly handicap yourself from there. So what makes sense for a lot of people is using man-made tinder, right? And that could be as simple as Vaseline and cotton balls. It could be as simple as using bicycle inner tube that you can hit with a lighter, um, Use something that's going to extend your flame. Um, your Bic lighter is going to give you 1,000 one-second fires. But if you have something that you can carry on the outside, like that bike inner tube, now I just have to get it going, and now I don't have to worry about using the rest of my gas. Uh, if I have to use a road flare, right? Some guys get in the habit of cutting road flares in half, capping the end, and now they have these little stubby road flares that will burn for two and a half minutes, but it's magnesium, right? It's burning 5,000 degrees. It's, it's insane. Um, there's no such thing as cheating. And even though I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, I, it's not cool. Who cares? You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I don't care if you are offended by other people using road flares or if you're embarrassed, the bottom line is get a fire going. Mm-hmm. So start with the greatest methodology first. Uh, that greatest methodology, like I said, could be a ferro rod and natural, uh, uh, man-made tinder 
Once you get that, then say, all right, I'm going to use that same ferro rod, but I'm going to gather, like you said, the grasses or the pine or the birch or whatever it may be. Then from there, say, okay, well, I've done it with a ferro rod that puts out a 5,000 degree spark. I've done it with natural tinder. I've done it with man-made tinder. Let me work my way back to something that's a little bit more difficult. Let me yes. try doing a one-stick fire with a single wooden match, mm -hmm. which is a classic, classic challenge. And it's one of my favorite that we use here at Fieldcraft when we teach. We're like, hey, we're going to give you this one wooden match, and we're going to give you this piece of wood. You're going to use your knife, and you're going to make a fire that's going to uh, burn for five minutes. And what's interesting is guys will focus on the wood and as they're focusing on the wood and they're making everything, they lose the match, right? Or if it's, <laughs> or if it's raining or if it's raining, they won't take that match and tuck it somewhere dry or they won't dry off their hands before they go to strike it. And now the, the water from their hands dry or hits the match. All of these are great learning points. Um, or my, my favorite is where they make all like the greatest tinder, uh, you know, they're shaving their, their, their sticks down to these beautiful feather sticks, but they didn't leave any wood for main fuel to burn for that five minutes. Uh, I'm not going to give you guys the correct formula of how much of that one round of wood you want to use for tinder and how much you want to use for small fuel and main fuel. It's something that you need to find on your own. And this isn't me being like, you know, I hold the key, I hold the key. Like you guys can go figure this out. It just takes a, a, a little bit of willingness on your part to go out and trial and error, right? You learn more from your errors and you're going to learn from your successes. Um, go out there. It, it's going to cost you one match and a little bit of time and maybe some elbow grease. Mm -hmm. From there, right, matches, you can work your way back to old school flint and steel, which in my opinion, for someone who's serious about survival, old school flint and steel is more novelty in this day and age when there are better fire starters that you could carry, but you're choosing not to for the sake of appearance or, or tradition. Uh, I would rather carry a modern fire starter than one that puts out an inferior spark. After flint and steel, you can work your way all the way back to friction fire. Start off with the bow drill because it's the easiest. And then from the bow drill, work the hand drill. And then you can mess around with some of the fun ones like the fire plow, the fire thong, and so forth. Man, super cool. It is about, like, in, in a survival situation, use any means necessary. Mm -hmm. um, but but it is working your way backwards to building those skills so, so that you're ready when you're put in that circumstance. And right. there was a guy, uh, so I grew up in uh, western Washington uh, uh, where it's super wet, 200 inches of rain a year in there. Mm -hmm. and, and we'd hunt this backcountry spot that uh, was on the Three Peaks Trail. And th this was my first introduction into backpacking. My dad dad would take me in there yeah. and, and we'd go backpack but there was the legend of this guy oscar buck and a family friend found him in there he died he froze to death and uh he was actually trying to take apart one of his rifle shells to yeah. make a fire but uh he also you know he tried to build a fire and ended up sitting there and freezing to death when the truck was maybe seven or eight miles out like there's another way to keep mm -hmm. warm there and it's by keeping your body moving you yeah. know and one of the reasons i'm in such good shape i mean not that i'm gonna have to run out of a place but i know I can get my get myself out of any circumstance I in I'm in and even the most remote places in the lower 48 I can keep my body moving I can keep that warmth going and I can get out of there yeah in the words of Brad Pitt from World War Z the movie you know movement is life uh, a lot of people say that the simple act of making your survival shelter will keep you alive more than the actual shelter oh, itself because, that's interesting. because you're going around looking for your bedding you're going around mm -hmm. looking for your thatching for your roof and for you know the ridgepole and, and whatnot. Um, I'm a firm believer that you should always pack to your weaknesses and you should identify them, right? If you uh, are uh, asthmatic, right? If you're asthmatic, you should absolutely carry an inhaler. Guess what? You're packing to a physical limitation. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're not the best harvesting 
cordage off the land, mm -hmm. you probably should carry some cordage. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there, there's no shame in that. And the funny thing is, is that people think everyone in the survival community is going to laugh at you or whatever. But really, a lot of the survival community is actually very, very, um, you know, willing to mentor and help and say, look, this is what I would recommend. And there are a few folks out there, some bad apples that are going to say, no, it's got to be this way. It's got to be that way. Well, I will tell those same people, uh, what shoe size do you wear? And they'll tell me and I'll be like, well, unless you're wearing a 13 wide, it's not going to work for me. So don't tell me that what your method is the only way, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of ways of skinning cats. Um, you know, I think the whole idea of movement is really important. Um, which then brings up what do you carry and it's not always the coolest looking gear because that might be the heaviest mm -hmm. so you got to strike a balance between heavy reliable uh you know the cost of your gear mm -hmm. you don't want to the average person is not going to go out and buy all titanium gear because they might not be able to afford it mm -hmm. so you need to find what your correct answer is with all these different concentric circles that overlap like a giant uh giant venn diagram um but once you figure that out then you realize okay um, I've got these items. What could I do better next time? And maybe you find someone that you, you mentor or you bring out into the woods and you give them a hand-me-down and you buy something nicer the next time around mm -hmm. and you just keep it going. It's, yes. it, it's a fun process. It's a super fun process. And you're right. Like we can't all go out and purchase all the best, all the most expensive gear. We've got to work on our kit as we go, you know, mm -hmm. and, and us as hunters, like we pride ourselves on being prepared for everything. And so, uh, like, like having the right gear, you know, having your rain gear, having your yeah. insulated gear where you can really, uh, uh, live up there and endure these tough conditions, these snowstorms that come in and rainstorms that come in and be ready for it. And, and even like, like I like to build fires without my fire starter, but I definitely like to have fire starter. Yeah. always in my pack all always you know with me when i'm making a stock just in case i do need that fire mm -hmm. because you get wet and it just robs your body of that that heat yes where you've got to get warm and so uh you know fire is a matter of safety do you guys at fieldcraft have some good fire starters uh we carry a lot of the exotac brand uh -huh. and exotac they're a great company out of georgia all american company uh they've been ripped off i don't know how many times from <laughs> a bunch of hacks in china um and it's funny because here's a quick story i was at blade show last month and i went with the owner of exotac who's a good friend of mine we've been in, in camp together a bunch of times and we both walked over to a booth that was selling the ripoff and he started asking questions like hey uh can you tell me about this fire starter and the guy's like oh yeah it's an exotac this and that he goes no it is not because i am the owner of exotac right <laughs> and he was recording the whole thing and i'm like man this guy has a way more patience than i do because i would have been livid but uh yeah we carry all exotac uh they've got their um their their Tinder Quick, which is like their pre-made Tinder, uh, replaceable ferro rod. So it's an aluminum container uh, on the back of the ferro rod. And the ferro rod is actually threaded. So once you use it up, you can throw that one away and get a new one and thread it right in. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, they've got these great lighter covers that cover a standard Bic lighter. And it takes a already existing great lighter. And it just now gives it a waterproof shell, which is phenomenal. And I've had them go through the wash, and they work. Um, so Crazy. that's that's what we tend to carry downstairs. Um, okay. We tell people, you know, like I said, get the road flares. Uh, you know, get a box of matches for your wood stove at home. Like diversify what you have, and don't get uh, kind of lured into just using one fire starter all the time. You should know how to pick up any fire starter and and use it if you need to. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, and then us for hunting, we have our, you know, our main fire starter and then a backup fire starter mm-hmm. because you never know. Like you say, you you get your lighter wet, uh, and it's not one of your guys's. You know, like uh, you have a hard time getting a spark. You better have a backup. You better yeah. have some waterproof matches in there. You better have a, a feral rod. Oh you yeah. Know? You better have something else, another means to make fire because, um, yeah, but just like um, you know, that story about Oscar, like he didn't have the best fire starter because he was obviously trying to get his shell apart to get. Oh. Uh, in there to get uh, uh, to get that that powder so we could start a fire, but he must have been desperate at that point. And you know that kind of that kind of leads to the discussion about staging, right? Like s- properly staging your equipment. Um, you know, something that we're known for at Fieldcraft is our tourniquet holder, and it was because many guys overseas fighting the war on terror would elastic band their tourniquets to the outside of their kit. Well, that was effective for a very long time, and a lot of police officers still do that. But to have a dedicated tourniquet holder that protects the the gate and the windlass and whatnot is going to ensure that your gear is ready and available when you need it your rain gear we tend to put at the very top of our pack well where do you carry your fire starter how many think about this one guys if you're listening to this how many zippers and how many plastic bags do you have to open to get to your fire starter if you really needed it can you cut that number in half can you make it one zipper to get to your fire starter Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like you may not have the time, you may not have the dexterity, you may not have the wherewithal to say, where is it, where is it? And as you're looking and or going through all these these zippers, now your exposed fingers are getting colder or maybe you're losing that dexterity. So start looking at how you stage the, the gear in your pack. If you are, you know, if you're carrying like a kill kit and you've got like a drag rope and you've got uh, your, your knives and, and whatever else you have in there, where did you put that in your pack? Is it right at the top? Because maybe that's not the priority in an emergency. Chances are, if you've been had a successful hunt, it's not an emergency at that point. You can keep it at the bottom or in the middle or, or, or behind extra zippers. Start thinking about your backpack or your, your lumbar sack or even the pockets in your jacket. Which ones offer you the easiest access to gear that is absolutely critical for starting fires, for signaling, uh, for stopping bleeding? Man, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, having it handy, having it in a waterproof container. So if yeah. you do fall in a creek or if it is soaking wet or you get in one of those rainstorms, you can get to it. And and also like a, a, a to to be good at your self-analysis. Like once mm-hmm. you start to get hypothermia, you're not going to be thinking with a clear mind. And, and it comes on really quick. Like uh, when you start to get cold and your core body temperature starts to lower, you start to shake a little bit and you can almost push through it or push past it. But if you don't realize you're getting to that state, it doesn't take long before right. you can't get a fire going yeah. or you can't get yourself moving or you're not thinking with that clear head. So I think like good self um uh, self-analysis to to know when you're getting to that point where it's like hey this is getting serious I need to get a fire going or this is getting serious I need to be doing jumping jacks mm-hmm. or I need to get my body moving and get my my core temperature up because I'm in bad shape right now this could turn into a really bad yeah. deal really quick and if you want to if you want to take it even one step further like people are always like man you guys seem like really scored away it's because trial and error right there's always something to learn um, not only will I recommend that the listeners here analyze and assess where they want to carry their fire starters, but you should make it systematic among every single person in your group, right? Everyone that knows me knows that I carry my Swiss army knife and a ferro rod right front pocket of my, of my jeans every single day. It's never in the left front pocket. It's always the right front pocket. And I've known some hunting parties where they say, we're going to carry this here. We're going to carry this here. It's standard. Don't put it anywhere else because 
a, a formula from the military, and I was never a military guy, but I've worked with plenty. Formula from the military is that standardization leads to efficiency, right? Where do you find the guy's uh, first aid kit? Well, guess what? It's going to be the same place on every single person, and that way you can get to it right away and you're not burning time, right? Now, imagine if you were to start standardizing the way that everything is carried on your person. If you're a rifle hunter, do you have uh, you know, your magazine loaded with the bolt closed? Do you have the bolt, uh, I'm sorry, do you have a round chambered, but the bolt not locked down? You know, like how do you how do you standardize your your method of carrying and your method of hunting and the, your method of say survival or backpacking? How do you do it where you know where to find everything on everyone else because you may need to? Mm -hmm. it, it's it's one of those things where people are like, man, I never thought of that, and mm -hmm. it's like, well, I can't take credit for that. That's plenty of people before us that probably died or were injured, and that lesson was paid for in blood. Mm -hmm. You know, and you gotta you gotta say to yourself, man, what can I learn from from that? type of training what mm -hmm. can i do because uh, I've, I've how many times have you said hey does anyone have a and insert whatever item and everyone is like reaching multiple places on their body but there, what if there's that one guy it's like anyone have this and he just goes boom and you're like damn that guy knows his kit inside oh, and out. oh i like that that's the one that i want to have yep. hunting or fishing or backpacking with me yeah you know? and, and not only away. for emergencies just right. for uh for for everything that comes uh, comes about like on a hunt, like to have your kill kit ready. Like a lot of times, uh, when I'm stalking mule deer, I don't bring my pack. I want to run light. Yes. I run, yeah. want to run quick, uh, efficient and effective, but I know that I need my knife. I need my headlamp. I need my game bags. I shove all this in my pocket. I bring 10 ounces of water that'll get me through on that yeah. stock. And so I've got all these things, but you're right. I've got to go through my bag and find all these items. Oh, my raincoat. I need to tie that around my waist. Yeah. Instead, I need to have all all this stuff in the right spot wrapped around with my raincoat around it so I've got my stock kit so it's something I don't have to think about yep. I know I have all my stuff shove it in my pockets and I'm on my stock it may make the difference between me killing that buck and not killing that buck so I really like yeah. that yeah now, that's smart and now let's relate this for the listeners for when they can't do what they want to do and that might be hunting or fishing or whatever let's say how can we relate this to every single day to wherever you travel every single night when you guys get home, do you have a place where you put your keys? And not only do you have a place where you put your keys, but when you empty the contents of your pockets, do you do it in a systematic way? Do you go front to back, back to front? Do you do it so when you put it out on the table, it's left hand, right hand, and then left hand, right hand again? So when you wake up in the morning, you don't screw around with, where do I put this and that? You know, people can say, wow, that's really OCD. And I, I don't care what they say. Um, I know that if I need to grab a knife, right front pocket. If I need to grab a flashlight, left front pocket. It's that way every single time. Uh, bandana, handkerchief, back left pocket. Wallet, right back. Like, it's that way every single time. And where that comes from, from the stuff that we do, is consistency with self-defense. Mm -hmm. If you carry your pistol one day in a shoulder holster, one day in a chest rig, one day on the belt, one day appendix on the belt, one day, you know, you've got it in an ankle rig. Well, when you start pressure testing your system, you may reach for it in a spot that you're not going to find it. Well, start thinking about what happens when you re get, really get pressure tested in the great outdoors. You might need something yesterday and you can't find it right now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a great lesson in consistency to, to do this and then to pass that on to the people with you because then worst case scenario, if you lose something, you know where to find it on someone else. And it's just, it, it's a game changer. It really, really is. Well, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm -hmm. So practicing this every day in life, then it's going to come 
you know, uh, second nature when yes. you're in the woods or when you're making a stalker when you do need this kit. Um, so, so one thing that I uh, that's definitely been lacking in in my backcountry bow hunting, like I prepare like a madman. I was out and did ten miles this morning. Like yeah. I keep my body in really good shape, uh, so so I can be in this rough, rugged, extreme country and rely upon my body to get me out to keep me safe. But accidents happen, mm-hmm. and one thing that's absolutely been lacking is, is my first aid kit. And okay. So uh, I talked to my cousin was just out with the Fourth of July. He's a first respond. Uh, firefighter chief of the the station there really knowledgeable guy and so he's really helped me uh the tourniquet you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier i have never carried a tourniquet my my first aid kit has consisted of a little bit of gauze and some duct tape wrapped around my trekking pole which is horrible i'm embarrassed to tell you but i'm gonna make a change this year um so he had me add a tourniquet to my system uh he had me add uh like what's that tape that you wrap around like if you twist your ankle or something oh, like that, an ace bandage yeah 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 um he had me add that and then um he was talking about like a a different um like for the the your core um to stop the bleeding there do you know what i'm talking about well, there the if, it, if it's a core if it's a core injury it's probably some type of chest seal exactly um, that's what it was if it's a juncture like a shoulder or the hips or whatever it's probably hemostatic gauze okay um and that's like the years ago it was quick clot everyone called it like kitty litter uh, and now it's no longer the loose powder. It's it's actually impregnated into the gauze, okay. and it, it's designed to, as a clotting factor to put pressure against whatever's bleeding. Um, we have a course that we call Hunter Med, and when people see the kit that we break out, they're like, "Oh, that looks like something that you know a police officer would carry." When am I going to get punctured? And we're like, "Here are the stats." This is how many people have cut themselves removing broadheads. This is how many people have fallen on arrows. This is how many people have fallen on a tree stand. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "I never thought of that." And it's mm-hmm. like. Every year, how many times have people fallen on, fallen on tree stands? Uh, what are you carrying to, to self-arrest? What are you doing to stop the bleeding? Uh, we mentioned fire. Most of the injuries in hunting camp are finger injuries, right? Cuts to the fingers or burns, you know? And yet people are like, I have nothing for a burn. Then you probably should carry something for a burn, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I burn my fingers all the time around camp, moving the fire around, uh, grabbing a cup of coffee, like whatever it may be. Um, burns happen. So... You know, your your first aid kit addressing medical needs, you have your boo-boos, right? Stuff that are caused even by boots that are either too tight or too loose. Either they're going to bruise or they're going to blister, right? Carry stuff for your feet. You're on them. We were talking about mobility. Boom. If you're not ter- taking care of your feet, uh, you're going to limit your mobility. Then you work your way up and you're like, okay, what could possibly happen? Oh, I could sp- sprain my knee. Well, or sprain, uh, sprain the ligaments around my knee, right? So now... Uh, you carry that ace bandage. Then you work your way up, and it's like, okay, well, what happens if cut myself, carry this? So you think you think of the whole body, right? Uh, you know, very common eye injury uh, or injury is an injury to the eye, yet people don't carry the cups that go over the eye socket to prevent pressure on the eye. Um, there are so many little things that really don't take up a lot of space, a quart-sized Ziploc bag maybe, Um and it will make you so much more ready to deal with these injuries that it's not aliens coming down from outer space, right? These things happen. The The possibility and the probability of these happening is pretty damn high. And if we're not carrying them while we are setting ourselves up to accept the the fate of someone who says, oh, I don't need that. 
Man, I've <laughs> seen know? it. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, my good buddy Brandon Purcell, who was so handy with a knife, so handy with his bow. And and this year, he he killed a bull. He was by himself, and um, he was butchering the bull. He had it all butchered all by himself, which is extremely difficult with a 700-pound elk. <laughs> and he was caping the head before he left, and he stabbed a Havilon straight into his eye. Oh. He carries a, a kit like I do. He had duct tape. What he ended oh. up doing is putting his glove over his hand and then taking his release and wrapping it tight. He wow. had three hours to get to the hospital. And then he stayed at my house that night. We went back and packed the bull out mm. the next day. He was really lucky he didn't, ca- didn't cut anything, uh, anything major in there. But but it went to a really dangerous situation really quick. A- and not only him, but David Brinker, he stabbed a broadhead through his calf. Uh-huh. I heard another story of somebody that shot a bull or a buck. And they were walking, looking for the blood trail and stabbed themselves with the arrow. Like the arrow can fall out of those quivers and they're just razor blades. The other thing I've heard of is like uh, when you're butchering an animal and the broadhead's still in them and you come across that broadhead. So so you're right. It's not a matter of if, it's when in the backcountry. And if you're prepared for it, you can handle the situation. And and I'm almost, you know, I definitely rely on my wood sense and experience and things of that nature, uh, but it can happen to any of us. And it happens so quick. Like, I think I'm so handy with a knife, but it's one slip up with one yeah. of those Havilon razor blades. And all of a sudden I could, I could, my life could be in danger and I don't carry the kit to address it. Like I'm in real trouble. So I think that's really important. So I just want to go back to that kit a little bit uh-huh. so that that gauze that has that clotting in it. Um, like I've heard, like, so how it seals the wound is it cauterizes it. Uh, uh, so it actually burns your skin. So you're actually burning yourself. So like that stuff, it's only in certain circumstances where you're going to use that. Right. Right. So we always tell people if there's a lot of blood around an extremity, arms and legs, don't put it around your neck, um, arms and legs. If there's a lot of bleeding, probably throw a tourniquet on it. Right. Put a tourniquet, go high and tight. And I've heard tourniquets nowadays. My Mm -hmm. cousin was telling me that they're not losing limbs, that you can have a tourniquet on for four to five hours, but two to three hours easily to be safe. And he said you want to get them really tight. Talk about a tourniquet a little bit. Um, And and I'll tell you, if you want a great podcast guest, one of my students from the Wilderness Learning Center, the survival school that I used to work for a decade ago, he's the director of emergency medical management for the entire central main area he's a trauma surgeon his name is dr ian wright i gotta give get you in touch with him he has saved limbs six hours after a tourniquet has been applied wow so now if you guys think about that right if you're in the continental united states there's a very good chance you'll get from you know the start of your emergency to the end of your emergency or at least advanced care within six hours um there's a belief oh if you put a tourniquet on you're going to lose a limb Modern medicine is phenomenal, and they're using leeches to help, uh, you know, restore blood flow after the fact. Like, it's it's really, really interesting stuff. Um, you guys should check it out. But when you put a tourniquet on, it goes high and tight. If you look at the bones in your upper arm versus your lower arm, you have two in your lower arm. You have one in your upper arm. Same thing with your leg. You have two in your, in your uh, like, below your knee. You have one above your knee. It's easier to put something that's going to occlude the blood flow around one bone instead of two. Now, the tourniquets that are out there, the Cat 7, the one that we carry, uh, very lightweight, very easy to apply to you, to someone else, um, and very secure. And it's not a bad idea to carry two because if one slips, then you have a backup, right? So you put one on and you try to go slightly higher with the next and always go high and tight. Um, The whole tourniquet thing, you know, people, people are quick to say, well, 
you know, I'm never going to need one, never going to need one, right? Well, I carry them in my vehicle. They're with within arm's reach. I carry one in my backpack. Um, it's a daily carry item because even if I'm not in the woods, I'm driving in a vehicle that could easily become twisted steel, twisted sharp steel, broken glass, broken sharp glass. You know what I mean? So it's not a bad idea to have these items on you. Um, and again, if you think about the cost of your hunting rifle, your hunting ammunition, your optic, uh, your tags, $30 for a tourniquet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it, it may save your life. And it, it probably will, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've also heard like a, 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 an ER doctor that I was talking to says that if you wound yourself, you can go into that wound and put pressure in there. Have, have you ever heard that? Or you don't oh, like that? I well, see you cringing as well, I say that. I, I, just, I just say that because, I mean, there are medical professionals that will tell you that they can pinch nerve, uh, not nerves, pinch uh, arteries yes. and stop bleeding. And that does happen in the emergency room and whatnot. For the layman, I, I have no advanced medical training. I'm not a, a nurse. I'm not a physician's assistant. I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not going to try something that is as or isn't as proven as a tourniquet for a person of my skill set. Tourniquets uh, fail safe. It's it's a it, it's a very good option. Uh, okay. Now, if it's a small cut, right? I mean, you got you have to understand. There's there's punctures, right? There are avulsions, right? Where it's like a skin flap. Uh, there are lacerations, there are abrasions. You're not going to put a tourniquet on for no. an abrasion. Yeah. Um, if it's a small puncture, probably not. No. If it's squirting blood out, yeah. that's when you need the tourniquet. Exactly, okay. right? Volumes of blood, it would be a good indicator. So um, a lot of this is assessment as well, is when oh, you yeah. do injure yourself, you have to assess your injury, and, and then you, you address that injury. Yeah, and yeah. You, need to, you need to stress inoculate as well. Um, I know people who are very faintish at the sight of blood. Um, I know people even just talking about it. I've, when I was a high school history teacher, I had a student come to me and say, I can't be in the room and there's a movie that has an actor with blood. And I told the kid, I'm like, you know, it's simulated blood. He goes, it, it bothers me. Hmm. Some people haven't learned their limits with their, their squeamish factor. You know what I mean? And sometimes they might be fine. Like a person might be fine saying like, oh, I've seen myself bleed. But you take the person you love the most in the world. And you give them, say, a broken tooth or you put them in a lot of pain and they can't handle it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you have to play the what if game. You have to kind of envision the worst case scenario mm -hmm. and experience it mentally before you do physically. Mm -hmm. Because imagine if you are that person's provider. You're their, their, you're their protector. You're there with the kit. Now they turn around or they, they pick themselves up from the dirt. Something you know, something catches their eye and now they pass out. And now that person has no help. You know what I mean? Like it's it's wild to think of it that way, mm -hmm. but you you have to think of it that way because, I, I mean, if you plan for the worst and hope for the best, maybe what will happen will be somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's great. Like I visualize my shot process on a deer. Mm -hmm. Like I, uh, I'm bow only, and 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 with this bow, I've learned like a, a buck fever is real. Getting excited before the shot is real. And a lot of times, you know, you're the first time you go through it, you just put the pin where you want it and jerk the trigger off, and the the arrow's nowhere close. And that would never happen in your backyard or during yeah. practice. But I've learned this, so now I visualize constantly. I talk myself through it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I try to foresee 
like backcountry challenges before I go on a tough hunt. I know I'm going to see lightning, so I'm trying to plan for it. Where's a safe place? How right. am I going to get down? I'm going to go through it. I try to put myself in that headspace. So I like what you're saying about putting yourself in that that headspace and trying to prepare for it. And even though I'd like to tell you that I'd be great and I'm not going to be squeamish around blood or anything, <laughs> like I used to get a shot as a kid like once a month. And so I've had a ton of shots in my life. But the last time I gave blood, I watched her put that needle oh, into my yeah. arm in there. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I start sweating down my brow, and all of a sudden, I'm really lightheaded. Like, this has never happened to me, but all of a sudden, now I'm squeamish when I see needles, you know? So, like, uh, uh, and it is just about conquering my fear, giving blood. It's not that big a deal. But that one time it did it, I started, sweat started rolling, (laughs) and I started feeling it come on. So, I think you're spot on about that visualization and preparing yourself Mm -hmm. for a circumstance that may come because it's, you know, it may be your life. Uh, that's that's in directly related to the decisions you make or your buddy's life, you right. know. So that's super important. I like that. Yeah, and and getting back to that whole idea of like having a standardized kit and and places to carry it, not a bad idea to to mentally walk through what you're gonna do with your hunting buddy, right? Like, like okay, we're gonna we're gonna dump the the contents from our kit. We're gonna stock to this animal. We're gonna carry minimalist stuff. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. Because then you don't even have to worry about whispering, you mm-hmm. know? And, you know, a friend of mine was joking years ago about scent blocker clothing. And he's like, when we breathe out, there's a lot of scent. So if you think about it, when you start talking to people, you're expelling scent. Imagine if you could reduce the amount of scent because you and your buddy have already figured out, like, this is what we're going to do. And you go on autopilot. And you don't have to talk, hey, you do this, you grab this, because you've already discussed it. Like, it, it doesn't hurt to have a great plan in place. And then when you can just go through that plan no real communication you're just working off one another i mean man that's that's a hunting party right mm-hmm. there you know yeah i know um that's a, a big part of uh what i talk about when when i'm preparing for the backcountry is having a plan for running into you know a grizzly bear like a grizzly mm-hmm. bear uh i don't want to let them know i'm there and if i see a grizzly bear inside 100 yards i want to back out of there and not let him know i'm there now if he starts coming at me and closing the distance i'm gonna have to make myself known and and right. let him know i'm a human and shout and wave my arms uh but but if i can avoid that whole circumstance i'm gonna do it but you got to have a plan right you know so when you see that bear and they're inside 100 yards that's when they have that fight or flight and especially a grizzly bear you know and so i try to keep myself out of those circumstances or i see a bear i give them a wide berth or lightning i have a lightning plan mm-hmm. uh hunting high country mule deer i'm up on these peaks at 10,000 feet in august and september when the worst storms come in and so you know throughout the years when i was younger i didn't have a lightning plan and i was i was sleeping on the peaks and i just didn't know any better i didn't have to ride out one of these storms but after i ride out a few like now i know i never camp on the ridge lines i always camp 500 feet off the ridge lines Mm -hmm. it may mean more walking uphill but i want to be down off those main ridge lines you know i want to find depressions in the land i want to find uh not be by the biggest tallest tree but i'd like to be in a group of trees where i'm down there i also know when it gets really bad that i I sit on my feet. I put my feet close together so it doesn't go up one leg through my heart and out the other leg. So I sit down on my feet. I make myself low and I ride out these storms. And so uh, I've got a plan for the middle of the night. 
Nowadays, I camp in safe locations, but sometimes you get trapped on a ridge line or you get trapped on a spot that isn't mm-hmm. ideal for camping. It's dark. you got to camp in this one spot that you found. So what I'll do is I'll build a lightning plan. And so if lightning comes, I'm going to drop down and I'm, you know, this is where I'm going to ride out the storm. And I have it pre-planned so I know when it comes in, like I can react to it. So like uh, uh, you're, you're speaking uh, right to me, like having this, <laughs> this plan and running through your head about it. Now that um, – the, the ER doctor that I talked to said that most people die from lightning um, from choking on their own vomit. Have oh. you heard that? Like, uh, so they, they get shocked and they uh, pass out and they actually choke on their own wow. vomit. So like you said, like having this plan with your buddy uh, to split up when a lightning storm comes, you don't want to be right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Let's get 15 feet apart. And if somebody goes down, CPR can save their life at right. that point. Right. Uh, also just trying to clear their airway and make sure that their heads turn to the side. So having all this planned out, man, it can... It, it really save your life. And so I think it's super important. Yeah. And, and I think even if you're driving to your hunting location, your fishing location, and you're listening to these survival books, like Lawrence Gonzalez has a great book called Deep Survival. You know, after each chapter that you're listening to, instead of maybe the radio, which is just the same boring entertainment over and over and over, after each chapter, talk about it. You know, stop the book, talk about it. And because even by listening to someone else's voice that maybe your hunting buddy is like, oh, this is cheesy. I don't want to talk about an emergency. We'll talk about someone else's emergency that actually happened. And even though they might not be tracking on the idea that you are you know, preparing them to have a plan, um, if something were to happen, they could fall back on that training and say, oh, my God, we just listened to this. Boom. And now you're – you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I would recommend that um, because I've heard people say, well – uh, any plan is better than no plan. Well, your plan could be your plan to fail. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I'd rather have you have like a mediocre plan than no plan at all. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have a great plan than a mediocre plan. Um, so maybe there's a way of getting your the people closest to you, whether it's like your kid, uh, your your husband, your wife, doesn't matter, get, to get them to the point where you or, or to the place where you are, you know, and it might not be the first conversation. It might be multiple. It might be listening to books. It might be watching a show and be like, hey, what do you think about that? What would you do? And get them out of just thinking about it and actually talking about it. Because the next step from there is doing something about it. You know? I love that. It sparks the conversation. And and this isn't just important in the backcountry. This is like an important conversation to have with your family. Like yeah. I have my wife and my two daughters. And in Montana, it can be 20 below with a 30-mile-an-hour mm-hmm. wind. To yeah. give them a plan if their car breaks it. Like my daughter's a, a senior in high school this year. And so we have a plan and everything in her car if her car breaks yeah. down, if she doesn't have cell phone coverage. You know, we go through all these steps. So, you know, once you, you've built this plan, then you know how to react to it. And when you're in that position or in that moment, that's not where you think like with a clear head. Right. But you, if you've already made this game plan and you played out these scenarios, you're going to react way better to mm-hmm. it. So I think that's so smart. So uh, uh, you've stated it a couple times. Experience is the best teacher. Oh and I gosh, think yeah. – for me, too, it's just spending all this time in the woods and, and learning from it. And I've made a lot of mistakes with my safety over the years, but I've gotten way better at it. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. like over the years, I get way better. But you're doing some really cool things. <laughs> so you just got done with a 72-hour challenge, right? Correct. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, uh, where we can watch this or pay attention to it, and some of the challenges uh, you have coming up. Yeah. So so the funny thing is, is that this challenge, it the from conception to you know, the execution of the challenge, it was about two weeks. Uh, we're sitting in our, our, our 
team meeting, our, our staff meeting. And Mike says, Kevin, I've got a challenge for you. I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> and he says, one Ziploc bag, 72 hours, clothes on your back, in the desert. I'm like, oh, my God. All right, fine. I was originally planning on doing this in, like, September, October. When we filmed the next video, he goes, you're doing this in 10 days. I said, oh, my God, this is wild. <laughs> so, uh, so basically what I did was I, I stuffed a Ziploc bag with what I felt like I would need for 72 hours. Not three days, as one person was like, oh, it's the same as three days. It just sounds more dramatic as 72. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, I could be camping and make it a three-day you know, trip in two nights. This was 72 hours. Um, I carried a handful of things that were, some things were unorthodox. Uh, we actually have a video coming out very soon on it. Um, through you know, Fieldcraft? Through Fieldcraft. Okay, it should be cool. on YouTube. Yep. Um, and I carried like an emergency blanket like a lot of people would carry. I carried a small Victorinox Swiss Army knife with a saw. I carried sleep aids, you know, that have uh, CBD in them because if you can't get a good night's sleep, you can't be really ready to do anything the next morning because you're going to be exhausted. Your mind's going to be cloudy. So I got eight hours of sleep every single night with those sleep aids. It was wonderful. Um, that's I used, smart. I like that. Yeah, go that, ahead. That's, just me, yeah, that's yeah. just me like being a nerd with strategy and tactics, right? So uh, the other things, I carried uh, Reynolds oven bags, and I used those as water containers because – Everyone is like, okay, I read an old survival manual. You carry an unlubricated condom. And it's like, man, that is dated, dated technology. Like for a condom to work as a water container, you need to have a bandana underneath it to provide some support. You need to have water volume to fill that thing up to expand it. Uh, or you need to have, uh, you know, gushing water, right, that you can hold it open and, and fill it like a balloon. So I use rental oven bags because unlike the condom where they tell you, oh, never keep this in a warm space. Reynolds oven bag was meant to go in 400 degrees and it was not hitting 400 in the desert. It hit 104, 105. Oh, and, wow. and the low day was 99. Um, so it was pretty damn hot, but I used that in aqua tabs for water. Um, and I had all these different things that were kind of just, I, I thought it out ahead of time. I was catching fish with dry flies, um, and, and, and a fishing pole that I made and I was eating a lot of wild edibles. Um, plantain, uh, sorrel, um, clover, uh, dandelion. And when I got out, the funny expression that everyone was like, they're like, you looked more inconvenienced than challenged. I'm like, <sighs> I'm like, it was hot. I got bored. I mean, I wish I had multiple pages of a book that I could have thrown in that kit. Um, but I got out and within an hour of getting out, right, right over here in this room, Mike is doing a exit podcast with me. He says, I have your next challenge. And this, Totally, totally threw me off because I thought the plan was I'm going to do the first 72-hour challenge, and then all of our assistant instructors we have here, Dwayne Unger, talented bushcrafter, Jerry Young, oldest friend, talented survival guy, Lieutenant Mike, SWAT guy, talented, like uh, Craig Caudill, tracker, like all these dudes that we, we have, uh, Mike Travis, another one, Archer, like all stud outdoorsmen. I'm like, I'm going to throw the survival challenge to each one of them. Mike says to me, he goes, your next survival challenge you need to do this in the next 30 days. I'm like, oh my God. He goes, same thing, one bag, but now you have to take Ricky, who's our HR gal. And I'm like, okay. He goes, but not in the desert. So now we have a different location, which is going to be more of like a wood line. And it's two people, one bag, 72 hours. Ricky is not as experienced in the great outdoors as I would like her to be. And she's very much into like rooftop tent camping and, and living comfortably. And I told her in, in a, 
in just a discussion recently, I'm like, you're going to take your boots and you're going to swap out your laces with 550 paracord. And she goes, why? I said, it's 550 paracord. It's seven inner strands. If it's a 72 inch standard boot length, we now have how many feet of 20 pound line inside? She goes, that's really smart. I never thought of that. And I, I know what Mike is doing. It's going to be a great learning experience for Ricky where, you know, I'm comfortable in the wood line. I'm more comfortable there than I, I would be in the desert. So I should be okay. Ricky is going to go from say like, let's say that her baseline is like a four in terms of skills by the end of this, in terms of skills and experience, she's going up a few notches. Like there, there's no way she's going to leave this and not learn anything. You know what I mean? Like she's going to, she's going to learn a lot. Um, so that's going to be happening the first week of next month. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is super cool. Yeah. yeah. Full video crew, like they're going to record it. Uh, Ricky is, is so, so nervous. Uh, you know, there's definitely going to be a, a lot of fun banter left mm-hmm. and right. Um, I asked her boyfriend, I said, Hey, does she snore? And I packed earplugs, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, it's going to be fun. Um, but it's something that people can do in controlled circumstances with a big safety blanket, um, and really learn from the experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're doing a, a 48 hour challenge that's open to the public. Um, it's a paid course, but we are going to teach you in those boring times. Uh, we're going to teach you how I did the 72 in your 48 hour experience, no food. You have to get it off the land. Um, and we're going to have you use a minimalist kit, which the average hunter could take the contents of that Ziploc bag and easily disperse them in your hand warmer pockets, your pants, your, your chest pockets. I mean, there's no reason you couldn't carry what I used to survive 72 hours in the desert on you when you're hunting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a great practical uh, survival experience that's worth sharing. Oh, that is super cool. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. Uh, you reminded me of a couple things. That mm. sleep aid. Oh, my gosh, do I need to get on that train it, uh, for hunting. Like, there's a reason that the military uses sleep deprivation as a form of torture. Oh, yeah. Like, to be sleep deprived. And I'm just coming back from a, a Hawaii trip for access to yeah. Now, this was cush. I was staying at a really nice <laughs> yeah. place. I had a rig to use. But I'm sleep deprived. I'm hanging with my buddies. We're hunting all day. We're hunting really hard. And, boy, you start getting worn down really quick. And so I actually pack more weight, you know, in in my pad to make sure that I sleep comfortably because I know how important it is to performing on the mountain and to be thinking clearly, to be making good decisions. So I'm definitely going to steal that one from you in my kit. And the other one I thought about, too, um, is Benadryl and and some pain reliever in your kit, in your your med kit that you're going to take in the mountains. I think those would be good to add, too. Because Ricky said to me, she goes, I think I'm allergic to balsam fur into pine. I'm like, you realize that was what I was going to use for the bedding in the shelter we're going to make. She goes, but I don't know yet. I don't know. And I'm like, Oh boy, this is going to get interesting. So we, <laughs> we do have, we do have a medic with us the whole time. Yep. Uh, hopefully we'll never need the medic. Yeah, you know? for sure. Well, Kevin, I could talk to you all day long. Like, uh, we got to do another one of these podcasts. Yeah, uh, you're time. so well versed in backcountry safety and survival. So I just really appreciate you sitting down doing the Anytime. podcast with me. Okay. Anytime. And if there's any listeners that have any questions, please reach out to us at Fieldcraft. I mean, we answer pretty much all of our emails, all of our Instagram posts. I mean, if you want to send me something like really weird and creepy, I probably won't answer that one. But <laughs> if you have a genuine question, I'll, I'll do my, my damnedest to, to help you out. Super cool. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you it. so much. Okay. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Thanks again to Kevin for being on the podcast there. Uh, We fit it in right before that live seminar. But, uh, yeah, they just have an awesome studio, awesome facility down there, and uh, doing some really cool stuff like that uh, 
like that uh, survival with a, a Ziploc bag, you know, with everything you can take. I think that's pretty cool stuff. So make sure to check out what they're doing over there. Uh, check us out on uh, Eastman's uh, uh, the Beyond the Grid Internet TV show, uh, also on the Outdoor Channel, Eastman's Hunting TV. Uh, check out the magazines. And uh, special thanks to uh, OnX and Zamberlin. Um, appreciate their support on the podcast and appreciate you guys. Uh, uh, the, the shares on Instagram are huge. Um, the, the ratings and reviews on iTunes really help. So um, just trying to keep this podcast rolling. So I really appreciate you guys uh, listening in uh, to these podcasts each and every week. So uh, thanks to you guys and, and just wish you the best this season. Go have some adventures, have some fun, and uh, hope you're able to, to arrow a, a critter or two along the way. So um, good hunting, you guys. That's a wrap on this week's podcast. Get out one next week. I really need to get out an elk hunting podcast. And I know, gosh, I don't start hunting elk till mid-September, and so I don't think about it until now. Um, and, and I know, you know, we're just coming into peak rut right now, but I need to get out an elk hunting podcast for you guys that are still out there. So hopefully I'm not too late on that, getting you guys some good information on, on elk hunting. Uh, you know, I know this Montana season runs into October, but a lot of these seasons end, uh, towards the end of September. So, uh, that's on my docket to get that done. Also have another live hunt for you guys. And then, um, just some, some good podcasts with good guests. So uh, we'll be getting those out in the near future. So uh, thanks, you guys. I appreciate you, and uh, good hunting this season.